Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. This weekend, we are continuing our series on marriage, and we're talking about something that for some is a little bit difficult to really um, talk about. Uh, Last night after preaching this message, I realized a lot of couples like to pretend that they don't fight. And it kind of makes me laugh a little bit because I, I know you. And I've spent, I don't know how many hours counseling couples and no matter how awesome everybody thinks you are, I still know you're not. You fight every once in a while, and some of you fight really, really dirty. I mean, you've got some mafia in your blood, okay? And, and we just need to be honest about that, all right? And this weekend, we're talking about not just fighting, because there, there's fighting against each other, but we're called to fight with one another, and if we're called to fight with one another, that needs to change the way we fight uh, against one another. And we're going to talk about setting some rules, some parameters as it relates to arguments and conflict in marriage. And the title of the message is Rules of Engagement. And we're only going to read one verse from the passage I told you to turn to because this one verse is really important for you to catch, all right? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3. It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Every fool is quick to quarrel. But someone who seeks to avoid strife, it is to their honor. Now, I'm going to give you five rules. This is not an exhaustive list. Just like every other list that I give you is never exhaustive. These are some suggestions that will help you uh, as you seek to set some boundaries when you experience conflict in your marriage, all right? So now, I'm gonna jump right into the deep end on this first point, all right? You know, your professors in college will tell you most of the time it's good to kind of dip your toe in the water and see how the crowd's feeling, see, you know, and then kind of wade slowly into the difficult stuff. I personally didn't subscribe to that school of thought. I like to climb up onto the high dive and do a cannonball into the deep end of the pool first, all right? So we're gonna jump right into the deep end of the pool with point number one, and all of you are gonna act like this is not your problem, but I know many of you face this problem. Here's point number one, when you're setting rules as it relates to conflict in your marriage, rule number one, no passive aggressiveness. No passive aggressiveness. Here's a couple of good definitions. This relates to a personality that harbors aggressive emotions while behaving in a calm or even detached manner. It's the act of doing something specifically to anger someone with the cover of, I didn't realize that would bother you. You've all seen it before. I'm going to give you some things. I compiled a list just of some examples, all right? That, that passive aggressive, I call them PAs, these are some things that PAs will, will typically say, and then I'm going to give you the translation. Because remember, here's what a passive-aggressive person does. They say one thing, but they mean another. 
So if you're here and you just got married, you need to be taking really good notes, especially if you're a man, because men, we come into marriage and we're flat dumb. Okay, so if, if you're young and you just got married, take really good notes with this part. Because she says one thing, but oftentimes she means another. Let me help you out, bro. All right. Here's a couple of things that PAs say. Here's, here's an example. I hear things like this in the lobby from time to time. You've done so well for someone with your level of education. Let me give you my interpretation. Pastor, you're an idiot. That's what they're saying. Okay. You see, it kind of sounds like a compliment, but it's actually criticism wrapped up in a compliment. Have you ever noticed how passive-aggressive people are really good at criticizing you, but it kind of sounding like a pat on the back? Anybody ever recognized that before? Yeah, they're, they're pros at criticism. All right. Here's something else you might hear a passive-aggressive person say. Uh, this is in the middle of a fight. One of the spouses says, why are you getting so upset? Okay, let me give you the translation. If you just got married, here's what that means. I'm so much better at handling all this stuff than you are. That's what they're saying, right? They put a question mark on it and it sounds sweet, but what they're really saying, you, you, have, you struggle with handling stuff. Whereas I, I, I'm amazing at handling stuff. Why are you so upset? This is so small and it doesn't upset big people like me, okay? Don't listen to what they're saying. Listen to what they're trying to say. Here's something else a passive aggressive person, you'll hear them say, maybe you're getting ready for church and you're pushing your spouse, you're running a little bit late and you kind of yell out from one of the house, let's go. Here's what a, a passive aggressive person will say. I'm coming. Okay, let me give you the translation. Again, you just got married. Sir, let me help you understand what that means. Here's her translation when she says, I'm coming. She means this. I waited nine months to push each of these babies out. The least you can do is wait five minutes for me to finish my makeup. That's what she means, okay? I'm coming doesn't mean she's coming. It means you better get quiet and just wait patiently. Because she waited patiently nine months to push that baby out, okay? Says one thing, it means another. Here's another one. Uh, maybe you've asked your spouse to take out the trash. And they respond by saying this. Sure, I'd be happy to do that for you. Let me give you the translation. <laughs> that's so cute. You actually think that's my job. It's getting really quiet in here really fast. Like, is anybody noticing how awkward it's getting? Mm-hmm, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit right there. Some of you are like, I just said that last night. That's right, you did, okay? Own that bad boy. Here's the last one. This is especially for the young man who may have just gotten married. You're on date night, and you're at the end of dinner, and she says, well, I'd, I'd like to have dessert, but if you're ready just to get the check and leave, I guess that's fine too. Let me give you the interpretation of what she's actually saying. She's saying, listen, if you want dessert when we get home, you best buy me some dessert before we leave this restaurant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what it means. Okay, passive aggressive people say one thing, but they actually mean something totally different. Now, here's my concern with people who deal with passive aggressiveness. They, they operate with a spirit of passive aggressiveness. 
Here's the problem. Your yes doesn't mean yes and your no doesn't mean no. And if you let that go too long, the same mouth that says one thing but means another is going to start to be questioned when that mouth says, I love you. If your yes doesn't mean yes and your no doesn't mean no, and, and let me show it to you in scripture, we're called for our yes to be yes and our no to be no, James 5, 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes just be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Psalm 51 verse 6 says, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, not just with your mouth, but God desires truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. If you're going to do conflict God's way in your marriage. You have to have some rules. And one rule you have to have is I'm gonna say what I mean and I'm gonna mean what I say. Because if I don't, it's gonna open up the door to be called into question whenever I say anything else, all right? So rule number one, no passive aggressiveness. Rule number two, no cheap shots. If you're gonna fight well in marriage, can't be cheap shots. Cannot have them. What's a cheap shot? Here's my definition. Using sensitive information with the intent to silence. Using sensitive information with the intent to silence. You know what a cheap shot looks like. You know maybe there's a, a private struggle uh, or a, a personal weakness that your spouse has and you know that if you bring that up at just the right time, it will shut it down like that. And so you don't, you don't do anything with it, you just hold on to it in your heart. And you sharpen that weapon for a couple of years. And then one day in an argument, your spouse pushes the red button. And you reach back and you grab that spear that you have been sharpening for years and you stab them with it. Well, what do cheap shots sound like? I'll just give you a couple of examples. It, it, it sounds something like this. Maybe in an argument, she says to her husband something like this. Well, you're the only man I've ever been with that thinks that way. Okay, that's a cheap shot. Because what you're really saying to him is, you realize I got lots of options, right? It, it, it's a cheap shot. Here's another one. Again, this is, I'm trying to help the young men here because I just wish someone would have told me when I was 23 some of this stuff, all right? Here's another one. Young man, never, ever, ever let yourself say the following words in a fight because this is one of the worst cheap shots on planet Earth. Here it is. You are just like your mother. There's some ribs hurting right now because some of you have actually said that. You're just like your mother. You're just like your father. And really what you're doing is you're just trying to stir it up. The Bible says harsh things actually do that. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare or explode. Now, here's what you need to remember about cheap shots. Cheap shots are not cheap. They are incredibly expensive. Here's another way to say it. Cheap shots might take you a moment to utter, but many of them 
take months to undo. It takes just a moment to say a cheap thing, a harsh thing, but it might take you months to rebuild the trust, to undo that one comment. It would be like if, if one morning your spouse wakes up with a crick in her neck and she says, hey babe, my, my neck is really hurting. Can you, can you massage my neck just for a minute before I head to the office? And you come over from behind and you go to massage her neck and at the last second you decide instead of massaging her neck, you're gonna choke her out. I know this sounds harsh, but it does for a reason. And you come up behind her and you start choking her. And then you let up. Okay, question. If a couple weeks later you say to her, you look really tense. Let me massage your shoulders. You think she's going to let you touch her? No. Why? Because you lost trust. Now, some of you are thinking, but I would never choke my spouse. Listen to me closely. Too many of us put a premium on physical abuse and forget how dangerous verbal abuse really is. Verbal cheap shots are just as bad as physical chokeholds. We've got to restrain our flesh because the flesh knows how to hurt. And here's why the flesh knows how to hurt because the flesh has been hurt. When your heart has been hurt, you start to learn how to hurt others. Cheap shots are just a, an easy way to hurt someone quickly that you love more than anybody else. And if you're going to fight God's way, you can't have that stuff. Now, there are two types of comments that you can make in your marriage, those that build up and those that break down. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear you. Okay, one of the fastest ways to strengthen your marriage is when you, that, that very moment when you feel like breaking your spouse down because you're frustrated with them. Here's the, one of the fastest ways to build your marriage up. Instead of breaking them down, stop yourself and build them up. Do not let yourself tear them down. Do the exact opposite thing your flesh wants to do and build them up. All right? Rule number one, no passive aggressiveness. Rule number two, no cheap shots. Rule number three, no revisiting the records. No revisiting the records. One of the worst cheap shots you can make is to go back into the archives and reach for one of the biggest mistakes your spouse has made. See this all the time. Okay, listen to me closely. Your spouse's mistakes are not meant to be weapons you use to hurt them. Your spouse's mistakes are meant to be opportunities for you to forgive them. First Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love is not boastful, love is not proud, love is definitely not rude, which involves passing gas in front of one another. That's just rude. That's my interpretation of that word right there. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and love keeps no record of being wronged. 
I've learned something about people who bring up the past of others. And they probably don't want me to tell you this, but if your spouse consistently brings up the mistakes of your past, they are letting you know they spend far too much time dwelling on their own past. That's why they bring up yours. Because the last thing they want is for someone to bring up theirs. So they point at yours so that no one else thinks to point at theirs. But here's the problem. What does the Bible say about judgment? In the same way you judge, what? You will be judged. So here would be my question. Do you want God to forgive your sin? Or do you want God to keep reminding you of your sin? Anybody want to keep being reminded of that ugly, nasty sin? No. Okay. Then why would you constantly remind your spouse of their sin? There are only two options. You can blot out their sin or you can blurt it out. The flesh loves to blurt out the mistakes, the sin of our spouses. But Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25 shows us how God deals with our sin. God says, I, yes, I alone. In other words, nobody else does what I'm about to do. I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake. And I will never think of them again. Question. Would your spouse say that's how you look? That as it relates to your sin, your spouse is quick to forgive? Would they say that? Would they say that you, when they mess up, are quick to forgive them? I am married to someone who blots out my sin. They help me walk through it. They forgive me. They help me grow from it. Or would they say, I'm married to somebody who loves to blurt out my sin? Okay, if you don't want God blurting out your sin, you want him to forgive and not to think of your sin ever again, why don't you try giving that same gift to your spouse when they mess up? Because one of the things that will keep you in limbo maritally is when you dwell on the mistakes of your spouse's past. And here's what's crazy. You want them to get better. You want them to grow. Yet you keep holding them in the place where they made their biggest mistake. You tell them, I want you to grow, I want you to get better, but you don't let them grow because you keep bringing up and throwing in their face the biggest mistake they've ever made. If you're going to fight in your marriage, you better fight God's way, and that's going to involve how you handle the mistakes. Do not revisit the record of wrongdoing. Let it go. If you have to remind yourself, sing the song from Frozen. Let it go. Let it go. Don't blurt it out. Blot it out. Here's rule number four. No leaving God out of it. As it relates to your fights in your marriage, do not leave God out of your fights. I have been known to kind of have this mentality. Maybe you do too. 
If I've been really frustrated about something and things are kind of building towards a confrontation, I have been known to kind of in my heart do the following. It's almost like I pick Jesus up as though he were a little six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus and I go and take him over into the corner. I sit him down and say, uh, you stay here. I've got to go take care of some business. You stay here, okay? Now don't you get up because I don't want you to see what we're about to do, okay? Now when I'm done, I'll come back and get you and you can come back into our conversation and our relationship. But until I tell you it's okay, you stay right there. Okay, you might not think you do that. How do you know whether or not you do that? Let me tell you how you know you remove God from the confrontations in your marriage when you fight according to your rules rather than his. Anytime you fight according to your rules and not God's, you are picking him up, putting him in the corner and saying, don't you pay attention to what I'm about to do because I know what I'm about to do is wrong and I don't want you to see it. Never mind, he's everywhere, people. And when I'm done, you can come back in. Here's the problem. There are two really big reasons that it's dangerous to remove God from your fights, from your conflict, from your confrontation in your marriage. Here's the first one. Your marriage is easy to take out when you take God out of it. Your marriage is really easy to take out when you take God out of it. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly or easily broken. When you move God out of your conflict, out of your confrontations in your marriage, it becomes just the two of you in that moment. And because he was the center and now you've pulled him out for the time being, there is a gap that creates a very easy way for the enemy to come right in to the center of your marriage and create division. The worst thing you can do, I know it seems like the smart strategic thing to do so you can get away with a few cheap shots while he's not looking, but the worst thing you can do is put God on the sideline when you're experiencing conflict in your marriage. When you take God out of your marriage, your marriage is easy to take out. It is easy for the devil to take the two of you out when you take God out of your marriage, even if it's just for an hour when you fight really, really, really ugly. Okay, here's the second reason it's dangerous to take God out. You're much more likely to take the bait when he's not there. When he is there, you're more prone not to take the bait. And you know what I'm talking about. As spouses, sometimes we bait one another, right? We just kind of bait them to see if they'll take it. Because a part of us kind of wants to get after it, and, and we, we serve up a little platter, and we hope they'll take the bait. Listen, when Jesus is in the center, here's how it usually goes in our house. My flesh wants to say something to Holly, and just as I'm gearing up, and, and crafting the perfect words to say what I want to say to her, Jesus steps into the middle and he looks me in the eyes with that puppy dog face like this. Are you about to hurt her? Okay, now when God asks you that question, conviction kind of falls quickly, doesn't it? Preston, are you really about to say that to her? Holly doesn't know I'm about to say it. 
Are, are you really about to say that to her? Do you really want to hurt my daughter? Son, why would you say that to her? I, I know her flesh just made a comment, but that doesn't mean you need to pull out the spears. Son, I was pierced for her. I don't need you to pierce her. I took it for her. You need to put that spear down. Okay, there's a scripture that applies to this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. When your flesh feels like hurting, if you keep God in the center, not only will he keep you from hurting them, he will give you a divine way to help them right in that moment. You want, you want to know one of the most amazing things that happens in marriage? When you know that you don't necessarily want to do what's right in a fight, but you submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in that moment when you were just so angry gives you a way to bless your spouse. And when you do, it's like the walls come down. They were expecting you to say something cheap. And when you didn't, when you said something extravagant, listen, it changes everything. But that only happens when you keep God in the center of your relationship, even in the midst of your fights. That leads us to point number five, the last one. No refusing to own wrongdoing. No refusing to own wrongdoing. A lack of confession puts sand in the devil's favorite sandbox. And anytime you put sand in a sandbox for the devil to play with, he's going to try and build his castle in your life. And a lack of confession gives him a wide open door to wreak havoc in your life. A couple of months ago, uh, I was in Dallas. Uh, I was leaving uh, the church, uh, Tuesday night service. I was dressed like this. I was rushing to the airport. I was running late, trying to make my flight so I could get home. I'd been gone for about five days. And I was on the phone with my best friend, uh, probably not paying as much attention as I should have been paying. And I am going through the airport. And needless to say, I was just a little bit above the speed limit, okay? How much? That's semantic, okay? Uh, I was just over the speed limit a, a, a hair, okay? And I'm, I'm flying by uh, cars and, and through lights, and I see a cop that's kind of uh, hiding a little bit, and I fly right by him. And I don't know if you're like this, but when I know that I am speeding and a cop pulls out behind me, I, my heart just sinks, okay? It's like I'm already called to the principal's office. Anybody else like that? I mean, your heart just sinks. And nothing is worse than when they follow you for a while and don't flip their lights on. Because now you're messing with yourself. There's a part of you that's like, man, we've gone like two and a half miles. Did I get away with that? Maybe his radar wasn't on. And your flesh starts kind of going, maybe I'm going to get out of this. But then there's that sick feeling, which is the Holy Spirit going, you know you're wrong. 
And, and you're just back and forth. You're playing ping pong. I, I get several miles. The guy waits to turn his lights on as I'm turning into the rental car place. And flips his lights on. I pull over. He comes to the window. I have my license out. I'm in a rental car, so I don't have my, my registration or my insurance. Have my hands on the wheel. Have my license and my concealed handgun license. Uh, hand them to him. He comes to the door. He said, what's the hurry, sir? I said, officer, I, I'm not even going to going to make an excuse. I'm sorry. I, I was in a hurry and I probably wasn't paying as much attention as I should have been. Uh, and, and it's wrong. I'm, I'm sorry. And he goes, Pastor Preston? Thank God I didn't try and excuse myself. That was my first thought. Oh, thank God. Because I really wanted to say, I've got a family of four at home. I've been gone five days. I'm trying to make my flight. You're making me late. Thank God I didn't try and pour out that story. He said, I used to go to seven years ago when you were the young adults pastor at Gateway. Oh, great. <laughs> he said, why are you in such a hurry? I said, I started laughing. And, and here, here are the details that I, I'm not very proud. The speed limit was 35 I may or may not have been going 54. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, don't judge, though, <laughs> lest you be judged, okay? Uh, I, I said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Uh, he said, well, let me have your license. Handed him my stuff. He goes back to the car, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I stayed on the phone with my best friend the whole time. I had him on speakerphone because uh, I told him, this cop has been following me for several miles. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I'm going to jail. You start thinking that. It's like, I, 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 he may be running. I don't know what's going on back there. Uh, so he goes back. He's gone for 15 to 17 minutes. So now I, I'm on the inside. I am freaking out. Okay. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm about to get in major trouble here. I mean, this could be a $500 ticket. I don't know if the rules are double you know, in an airport, I, I don't even know what's going on. The guy knows me. I don't know if he likes me. Maybe he hated me when I was the young adults pastor. And he comes back to the window and uh, he says, Pastor, I'm going to give you a warning this time. Uh, I've, I've actually got an officer back there with me that I, that's shadowing me. Uh, and we've been talking about whether or not I should ticket you. Uh, but I'm going to let you go. Here's my request. Let's set a good example out there, okay? <laughs> and this guy's like 10 to 12 years younger than I am, and all I knew to do was say, yes, sir. <laughs> but you know that feeling when you've done wrong, you have that sick-to-your-stomach feeling that, that I... I Am I going to get away with it? Can I get away with it? And the flesh kind of starts to think, well, maybe I'll try to get away with it. But that sick feeling never goes away. Okay, listen to me. The worst thing you can do in your marriage when you've done wrong is try and get away with it. The best thing you can do is just confess. Look at what happens. I, I want to show this to you. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. When you choose not to confess when you've done wrong, whether you, you messed up at work, whether you messed up because you said something you shouldn't have said to your spouse, no matter how you messed up, when you choose to hide it rather than own it and confess it, 
you're not getting away with anything. You're actually getting worse and you don't even realize it. Watch what happens with King David. This is after he has sinned with Bathsheba and he's talking about how he was trying to hide it. He, he thought he might be able to get away with it. Psalm 32 verse two, yes what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refuse to confess my sin, watch what happened, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength even evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Okay, one of the most dangerous things that you can do in your marriage is hide what you should expose. It will never get better when you keep hiding it. You know that, that saying uh, where it talks about skeletons in the closet? That skeletons in the closet are never a good thing. You know the only thing worse than skeletons in the closet are live bodies in the closet? And when you try and hide your errors, they're going to eat you alive. One of the smartest things you can do in your marriage, let's say you're in an argument and you, you get halfway through a cheap shot and the conviction of the Holy Spirit hits you and in the middle of that cheap shot, you stop yourself and say, I'm sorry. Why would I hurt the person I love more than anyone else? I'm obsessed with you. I'm not gonna hurt you. Please forgive me. I'm just dealing with some stuff and I actually was gonna take it out on you and it has nothing to do with you. Will you please forgive me? Listen, if you're prone to hide when you mess up, I want you to hear this and never forget it. You need to become prone to own. You need to own when you mess up. You will sleep better. Your marriage will get stronger. But Preston, I'm afraid how my spouse will respond. Listen, it's not about that. It's not about whether or not they do the right thing. It's about you doing the right thing and confessing. I'm doing a wedding later this week. And in a wedding, you typically find the bride and the groom coming together in front of a room filled with people. And they make some statements to one another. And if you, the next time you're at a wedding, pay attention to what they say. What you'll find is they make a lot of statements that sound like this. I promise I'll do this. The minister may say some things and they'll respond, I do, I do. And they're communicating to their spouse, listen, I love you and because I love you, I promise to do these things. But one of the things you will rarely see at a wedding is a couple come together and in front of everyone say, here are the things I promise to do, but I want God and everyone in this room to know, here are the things I promise I will not do. 
Love doesn't just say, here's what I'll do. It also says, because I love you, I promise I will never do these things. I will do my best to never, ever do these things to you. We're going to have conflict. There's going to be confrontation in every marriage. No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, no matter how awesome and amazing you are, there's going to be confrontation in marriage. That is not a question. We already know it's going to happen. The question is, when you find yourself in confrontation, are you gonna play by your rules? Or are you gonna play by his? Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.